You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. in God's church. There is no room for a prejudice of any sort in God's church. Jesus has broken down the walls of prejudice. God was putting together the final pieces for his church, the church of Jesus Christ. And we are his body. We are his body. And when you read, my little finger is not prejudiced toward my nose, nor is my big toe prejudiced toward my ear, because it doesn't get to hear. It just gets to be stuck in a shoe all day. There's no prejudice in my body. He has a good point there. There's no prejudice in our bodies. Pastor Dave today teaches us that we need to treat those who aren't like us with Jesus' love. Jesus died for everyone, including those who aren't like us. Don't prejudge those who don't look or act like us. Let's love them with Jesus' love and watch God work. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 6 as he continues his message. Second time's a charm. converts, according to Acts 6, verse 7, were priests. They were actually priests who who worked in the synagogues, and they were zealots for the law, and they brought that with them into Christianity. But even the ordinary Jew would have a hard time understanding this concept of the Gentiles. He would have this concept of the Gentiles coming in. It would be hard for them. So they were ignorant. They didn't know. Ignorant simply means without knowledge. It's not a bad word. They were not knowing, and so they have an excuse, but we have no excuse. We are excuses because we have God's Word. And in God's Word, we have books like Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, and Hebrews that explain all this to us. So we're without excuse. We have no excuse because we have God's Word. This is not only a religious matter, but it's a cultural matter. It's a cultural habits are hard to break. But I know they can be broken by the love of Jesus Christ. I know it because I've seen it with my own eyes. My beloved father-in-law, Beatrice's dad, what a wonderful man he was. Italian man, true and true. And if there was ever a fault in the man, there was one small fault. He didn't like people of color. And he was blatant about his dislike for people of color. And when B and I came back to the Lord, we prayed for him and prayed for him and prayed for him. And as the Lord would have it, he got very, very sick with cancer. And he was in the hospital for a very, very long time before he died. But before he died, he was in that hospital, and every time we would go visit him, he would talk about this nurse and how he loved this nurse and how he and this nurse, he called this nurse his girlfriend, and how he and this nurse would talk about Jesus and how he had accepted Jesus Christ in his life, and he went on and on and on and on to talk about this nurse, and then one day we met this nurse. The Lord has a great sense of humor because she was an African-American, a beautiful Christian lady that led him to the Lord. He was born again. But see, I know God can take away those prejudices. God can take it because I've seen it with my own eyes. But Peter is called on the carpet, and Peter has to defend God's grace. Can you imagine that? Peter has to defend God's grace to these people. Beginning in verse 4 through 15, we find Peter's defense. 
He has to make a defense because in the word contend, in the original Greek means charging with a crime. So when they contended with Peter, they were charging him with a crime, and his crime was associating with the Gentiles. That was his crime. Peter must now defend his actions before before the brethren and even his fellow apostles. You know, this is no small matter, nor was it a small matter in the Lord's eyes. That's why it's repeated several times. But Peter's defense is very powerful, and it comes in three areas that we're going to look at. The first area was the vision. He repeats the vision that God gave him in verses 5 through 6. Let's look at those. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it attentively and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And I hear a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now it was done three times, and then it was all drawn up into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Interesting enough that these men that Peter's talking to, they trusted Peter. They had been with Peter for three and a half years. They knew Peter. And Peter was giving them his personal account of what had happened. They knew that if anyone had any kind of orthodox views, it would be Peter. So they were wondering what happened here. Because remember, he even showed his orthodox views when the Lord said, rise and eat. He said, not so, Lord. I've never touched anything unclean or ate anything common. These men knew that it was highly, highly unlikely that Peter would take it upon himself to go to the Gentiles. It was highly unlikely that he would do that. They, meant, they knew that. So Peter recounts these events. Again, I would like to draw you to the attention that even the Lord had a place on Peter's heart. The Lord didn't show Peter this vision one time. He didn't tell him to rise and eat one time. He had to tell him three times. He had to tell Peter three times that this was happened. Do you think he got Peter's attention? Well, we know he did. We know that Peter tried to put pieces together, thinking it was all about dietary laws. And then piece by piece, as Peter followed the Lord and followed the Holy Spirit, the whole vision came together. The whole vision came, and he saw it. I'm really glad Peter did. Well, I believe this Holy Spirit now is speaking loud and clear to the church today. Don't forget this passage, he says. Don't ever call anything that the Father has cleansed common or unclean. I believe that's the message. Isaiah the prophet again writes in chapter 61, verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. What a glorious day. What a glorious day when we can say I am righteous because of Christ Jesus. I am righteous because of the faith I put in him and the work he did on Calvary. What a glorious day. I can stand up and say I am his. He has brought me with a price. What a glorious day. I'm aware of my uncleanness. I'm aware of my commonness. But God has cleansed me from all eternity. He has cleansed me from, for all eternity. He has cleansed me by the blood that we celebrated communion. But we beat ourselves up. We beat ourselves up. Salvation is a wonderful thing. What the Lord has done for us is so incredible. But it's hard for us to receive that grace so graciously because there's always something in us that says, I don't deserve that kind of unconditional, unmerited love. I have to work for it. There's always something that says to me, if I only did a little bit more, if I only did this, if I only did that, the if-onlys. God's saying no. Every time we want to walk in freedom with the Lord, we should expect Satan to come alongside of us and say, you know, you're a creep. 
You know you're just a four-footed beast. You know that. You don't deserve God's grace. You don't deserve to be in his presence, let alone stay there. But your answer, your answer when that happens must always be what God has cleansed. Don't call common, and he has cleansed me. That's what God's telling you. We are cleansed. We are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So Peter, Peter's defense includes his vision. And then his defense also includes the witness of the Holy Spirit in verses 12 to 15. And this is crucial to Peter's defense. He says, Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered this man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you by which you and your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon him, as upon us in the beginning. Peter tells these men, it was the Holy Spirit that told me to go. The Holy Spirit told me not to doubt. Don't doubt anything. And when I began preaching to Cornelius, guess what? The Holy Spirit fell on the guys. The Holy Spirit fell on them. And he reminds them, remember, the same thing happened to us at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit fell on us. Now, because of these words, there are many, many scholars, many scholars who, are, who believe that just like the day of Pentecost, that there was the gushing wind and all this kind of stuff. But it doesn't say that, so we can't say it. It doesn't say that in Scripture, so we really can't say that. But a lot of people believe that this was a great experience like that, like the day of Pentecost. But Peter describes it. He tells them. He says, everything was there. I was just following the Holy Spirit. This is a day of liberation. This is a day of freedom. It's a day of freedom for the entire world. Not only were the dietary laws abolished, but all cultural, national, and religious boundaries were torn down. Walls were torn down, torn asunder. There should be no boundaries separating us. Peter's basically saying, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I just started to preach God's word, and bang, the Holy Spirit fell. And it wasn't even my idea, guys. I was hungry. I went at lunch. I was up on, the, up, on the, up on the roof, and I went at lunch, and I thought, well, I'll pray. And all of a sudden, this vision comes down there, and it says, do this, do that. And then men are at my door, and the Holy Spirit says, go with them. Guys, it's not my fault. I don't know why you're accusing me of anything. I meet this cool guy named Cornelius, neat dude. I started talking to him. He said, come into my house and preach the word. I went and started preaching the word of God, and the Holy Spirit fell. He didn't even let me finish my sermon. I didn't even get to the altar call. And these people were saved. I've only seen that happen once in my life. I've only seen it happen once in my life. It was on a video. Calvary Chapel Pastor Raul Reese. Calvary Chapel Pastor Raul Reese comes out to, to do a Bible study, and his church is packed. And he sat there like this. He said, I can't do his accent, but he's a great speaker. He says, Spirit telling me that some of you need to be saved. I can't go any further. I'm not even going to start this, this service right now. If you want to be saved, if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, stand up right now and come down here. A hundred people came forward. He, didn't even, he said, I didn't do anything. I just told them that they need to be saved. The Holy Spirit does that. That's what the Holy Spirit does in action. A day of liberation. Peter's saying, it's not my fault, guys. Cornelius and his relatives and friends received the Holy Spirit as soon as they trusted in Christ. As soon as they trusted in Christ, right in the middle of Peter's sermons. You know, people have called Peter a lot of things in commentaries. A lot of things they've called him, but one of the things that they usually don't call him is smart. But I think Peter is very, very intelligent. I think he is smarter than we ever give him credit for, because you know what? He took six guys with him. And those six guys became his witnesses to everything that happened, and they saw it with their own eyes. I think that's pretty smart. 
I think it's pretty smart that he took those guys down there with him. That's pretty cool. So Peter bases his defense upon the Holy Spirit. And finally, finally, Peter bases his defense upon none other than the word of God. Let's look at verse 16. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This makes Peter's defense even stronger. He brings the word of God into it. He remembers Jesus' words to a disciple. Again, this suggests a dramatic baptism of the Holy Spirit, just like at the day of Pentecost. But Peter realized, Peter realized that the Lord was doing the work. Peter realized that there was a transition happening from the new covenant. Peter realized that it would be open now to all nations. Peter started to understand, and the light became on in Peter's head, and he started saying, wow, this is what's happening. And he comes to this glorious conclusion. This might be the best scripture of all, the glorious conclusion in verse 17. If therefore... God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could withstand God? Wow. Who was I that I could withstand God? This might be the most crucial point of Peter's defense. He was saying, when God's at work, who am I to get in his way? Who am I to get in God's way? You know, when God's at work in someone's life, some of you are just like me. You want to run and you want to fix it. You want to run and go, I can fix your life. I can fix it. You want to get your hands in there. You want to fix their life. And you want to make it all perfect and stuff like that. Well, maybe that's not God's plan. And you rush before God without being prompted by the Holy Spirit. And you rush in there and you start fixing. All of a sudden, you wonder why everything goes wrong. And all of a sudden, all kinds of crazy things happen to you. Well, I believe what's happening is God's saying, get out of the way. Now i got to deal with you. And then God deals with us for a while. And then he finally comes back and deals with the person that he was dealing with all along when we should have sat back and said, God, do what you got to do. Are you withstanding God? Are you getting in God's way with somebody's life? Is God miraculously about to do something in somebody's life, but you're interfering and coming in contact with them and telling them things? The Holy Spirit is telling you right now, back off. Let God do the work unless you are prompted by the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit prompts you and tells you to go, then that's the time to go. Peter didn't get involved with 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 the Gentiles until when? The Holy Spirit told him to go. He didn't get involved with the Gentiles until the Holy Spirit told him, go. He heard the Great Commission, go into all the world. He didn't put the pieces together. But if you're meddling in someone's life, and if you're trying to help things out and straighten things out and make things all right and perfect, God's gone, okay. Now I have to deal with you first. Not a very good place to be. Not a very good place to be. Even Peter said, not so, Lord, three times. Not so, Lord, not so. Peter said, you can't stand in the way of God when God wants to move. Who am I to dictate the work of God? That's religion. Religion dictates how God will work. Religion says, if I do this, God will do that. That's religion. Are you withstanding the work of the Lord today? Is the Lord wanting to do something in your life or maybe someone else's life, but you're in the way? My advice to you is to get out of the way. Move fast. You know that old saying, you're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. <laughs> you, know, you don't want to be a problem. You don't want to be a part of the problem when God's involved. You don't want to be a prob- part of the problem because then he will work on you. Peter's defense rings true into their heart. It rings true in their heart and they're glorious. And look what happens here. Look what they say. They say, finally, when they heard these things, they became silent. They must have been dumbfounded. They must have been standing there with their mouth open. They must have been dumbfounded. And then they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Finally, finally, they understood. 
Finally, they know. From the very beginning until the end, the conversion of the Gentiles was God's gracious work. He had given them the gift of repentance, the gift of salvation, that unmerited favor that nobody deserves. God has given them that gift, the gift of grace. He gave them that when they believed upon Jesus Christ. It's going to be a hard road for these saints in Jerusalem to accept this. And they're going to be very, very uneasy about fellowship with the Gentiles. We're going to see that as we get into the book of Acts. Even more things are going to come up about that, how they're still uneasy. It's going to take a long time for the new covenant to be fully enacted. We've said before that there's no room for prejudice in the house of God. There is no room for prejudice in the house of God. But let me remind you, when we say the word prejudice, many of you will automatically go to color. It's so much more than color. So much more than color. Although that's a big thing, don't get me wrong. In fact, the definition of prejudice is a prejudgment. It's an opinion or decision of mind formed without due examination of the facts or arguments which are necessary to adjust an impartial determination. It's a previous bent or bias of mind for or against a person or a thing. So it's not only the color of the skin. It could be economic or social standing. It could be the type of clothing worn. It could be somebody walking here with piercings and tattoos from here to here. We might have a prejudice. We might have an opinion already made. It might be the people standing in line to collect this or collect that. It might be the young. It might be the old. It might be a Christian versus a non-Christian. It might be a denomination versus a non-denomination. It might be the gifts of the Spirit. No gifts of the Spirit. These prejudicial attitudes build up in our lives, and they become a way of life, and they become the way we naturally think. And it becomes almost like nature to us. Well, I can tell you right now, that's a fleshly nature. That is a fleshly nature because there's no room for prejudice in God's church. There is no room for a prejudice of any sort in God's church. Jesus has broken down the walls of prejudice. God was putting together the final pieces for his church, the church of Jesus Christ. And we are his body. We are his body. And when you read, my little finger is not prejudiced toward my nose. Nor is my big toe prejudiced toward my ear. Because it doesn't get to hear. It just gets to be stuck in a shoe all day. There's no prejudice in my body. Years later, after Dr. Luke wrote this, the Apostle Paul would write a letter to the church of Ephesus. And he would explain this in ways that only he could explain. And I want to read these 12 verses to you, and then we'll close. In Ephesians 2, verses 10 to 22, it says, Therefore remember you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of the commandments contained in, ordinance, in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man. One new man from the two, making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. 
And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Spirit, to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Wow. That's the church of Jesus Christ. That is his church, and that's what we are part of. That's what we are part of. We are part of his church. If you've accepted Christ, we are part of his church. He says, one time we were without Christ. We were without spiritual blessings. We were without hope. We were without light. We were without peace. There was no rest. There was no safety. We had no king. We had no prophet. We had no priest. We were without all that. We were without Christ. But Christ churched. And in Christ's church, no one should be regarded as a second-class citizen. In Christ's church, no one should be regarded as second-class, as not worthy of salvation. No one should have that distinction because it's been built on the foundation of the apostles and the, and the uh, excuse me, the apostles and the prophets. And what was that foundation? Jesus Christ, for he is the foundation. We're built for an enduring time and ever recorded. There will be no other foundation that's laid than the one that's already been laid, Christ Jesus. He is our foundation upon which we stand. He's the foundation upon which the church was built upon, his church. Let me leave you with this. I read this in a commentary, and it was so beautiful that I wanted to pass it along. There is nothing as noble as the church, seeing that it is the temple of God. There is nothing so worthy of reverence, seeing that God dwells in it. There is nothing so ancient, since the patriarchs and prophets worked to building it. There is nothing so solid, since Jesus Christ is the foundation of it. There is nothing so high, since it reaches as high as the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There is nothing so perfect and well-proportioned, since the Holy Spirit is the architect. There is nothing more beautiful because it is adorned with the building stones of every age, every place, every people, from the highest of kings to the lowest of peasants, with the most brilliant scientists and the simplest of all believers. There is nothing more spacious since it is spread over the whole earth and that takes in all who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And there is nothing so divine since it's a living building animated and inhabited by the Holy Spirit. That's the church of Jesus Christ. That's the church in which you belong. Let no man call anything unclean or anything common. Because everything has been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. We just happen to realize that. And we just happen to have accepted that. Let's not put ourselves on a pedestal because we have. But let us go out and reach others with the same message, hope and faith in Jesus Christ. You are a sure hope. You've been listening to Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, even when it cost him his life. What courage in the midst of opposition. 
Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you like this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to AsureHopeRadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today, but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope.